Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Glad you guys could be here. Uh, if it's your first time here, I want to personally welcome you. My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors. I get an opportunity to do the bulk of the preaching and get a chance to do such this morning. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, looking at 17 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. I'm about to take somebody to school this morning. Um, <laughs> Raise your hand, and you can get a Bible, not a basketball. Uh, and if you don't own one, keep one. Okay, let me explain this real quick, why I have this basketball and why all this is up here. Um, if you know us, we're not really, we're not, we don't usually have like themed sermons, and this sermon has nothing to do with basketball or locker rooms or anything today. So this upcoming week, right after this, for the next five days, we're going to have our All of Life Kids Camp, and that is our version of VBS, and so this was an opportunity for us to have this up here, um, not for you guys, but for most of your guys' kids that are going to be here, and for you guys to be thinking about and praying for all the kids, about 140-something that will be here over the next several days, uh, hearing about Jesus and how he loves the city and how he's died for us, how he's been raised for us into new life, and so just think about that. Afterwards, there's a basketball game going on in the gym, so if anybody wants to come get that work, we could do that as, as well. No, I'm just joking. Put this back. I just, I had to. It's been up here. The other thing is um, we need to, as a church, before we dive into God's word, um, we need to pray for some of the things that are just kind of going on in our country. And I know all of you have watched the news, you've read things and so forth that you've seen a lot um, in, in terms of the families and those who've been separated from their families. And, and we need to pray for our leaders and so forth here. Now, here's what I want to do. Because these issues, this is the worst thing about issues like this, is they become so politicized that you, you, you start there instead of like looking at the different people that are involved. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go exactly where we see the scriptures, and that is that we see that God cares about the sanctity of family, and he also cares about the rule of law. Um, like, so we, it's, it's, it ex, it's extremely complex, and I'm not going to try to make sense out of it because I don't know how to make sense out of it. However, here's what we see in Scripture, that we are called as God's people in the name of Jesus to be able to pray. And not only pray for families, but definitely pray for those families, but also pray for our leaders. And I don't want to say that in a generic way, to pray for our president, President Donald Trump. Um, and so that, that could be weird. And if it's weird because you're going, I don't want to pray for the president, that's, that's fine that you don't want to pray. That's just not very Christian, so deal with Jesus. And so um, let's... Let's, that, let, let's, let's, just, let's just go there. So um, let's pray, and then we'll get into God's word. God, we thank you that you are a gracious father, and that first and foremost, before you even created, you were a father, and that you have given us your son, Jesus, that we may participate in your family, that you desire family. It is your design. You are good. Um, God, that we see that in, in just the nature of sin and corruption and brokenness, Lord, we've seen the fam families, Lord, not just in uh, the situations that are happening in our country, but around the world that are just broken. And we pray, Lord, for your sovereign grace and mercy. We pray for families to be united, for mothers and fathers to be with their children. God, not just in the situations of, in, involving the things in the news, but even the families, Lord, that are, that are in, our, in here, and Lord, the families in our community. God, we lift up our leaders to you as you command us to do, and we pray for them. We pray for our president, Lord. We pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment. God, we pray for the team of men and women that are around him that lead in this country, Father, that your sovereign grace would be upon him, that your kingdom would come. Jesus, we ask that we would never get confused this particular kingdom with yours, that we would understand, Lord, that your kingdom lasts and it reigns forever, and on the throne is our Savior, Lord, and King Jesus Christ. 
It's in his name, Lord, we ask that you would move, God, that you would bring healing, that you bring clarity, that you bring wisdom, that you bring leadership, God, in only ways that you can. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin to look in Ephesians, um, begin, we've been continuing Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for a while now. Um, and what we've been looking at is, one, if you begin to read, especially the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, you get this, this theme of God is in the business of reconciliation or God is in the business of unifying things or bringing unification. Chapter one, we see that there is something that sin has done that has separated heaven and earth, and so God is uniting all things, heaven and earth. We see that in chapter one. And then something that the nature of sin has done that has separated or alienated man, that is people, from God. But now through God's grace, his unmerited favor, in which we just beautifully sang, sung about. Um, by the way, whenever this band leads, we don't usually go to church. Somehow we're having church, and it, you got to know the difference. You got to know the difference. All right, so you have... You have that God is reconciling us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then the latter part of chapter 2, we see that there's still this separation primarily between Jew and Gentile that now through the same grace, this unmerited favor through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that God is uniting them. And he's creating this one new man as Paul talks about. And the, the best way to interpret that is a new society. And it's the kingdom that Christ himself has ushered in that those men and women for all eternity, ultimately, who are in Christ, that we participate in that new kingdom or this new society. Well, what Paul begins to do in chapter 4 is he begins to draw out the implications of what this new society, this one man in Christ, begins to look like with multiple gifts and so forth, and is still keeping the theme of unity and what this unity looks like. And so John taught about that two weeks ago, and last week Andy came, and he began to talk to us about this maturity and this growth that we have as the people of God. And then now, what Paul begins to do, it's very, very simple here. He gives this picture, as he does in Colossians, of, of like what the people of God, those who are in Christ, those who have responded to the grace in which has been extended through Jesus, like what it looks like for us as a community. Not just to be one, as we talked about before, not just to express our gifts, which is weeks ago, but now how to live um, ethically, morally, as a people centered around Jesus. Like, what does the grace of God in our life produce as we live our life? And so Paul gives this picture of put off and then put on. And, and, and here he's saying, put off the old self and then put on the new self. Um, put off what your life used to look like and then put on what your life ought to look like. And so that's basically what Paul is uh, going through here for us um, in these verses. And then the next few weeks, it is breaking down even more in detail, like what that particularly looks like. And so the picture of put off, put on. So this is what I thought about. Um, one, I thought about the fact that I'm not on social media and my friends post things and I hear about the things that they post. And what, what I don't like about social media, one of the things I don't like about social media is you can post things and without people's uh, per, like permission. So they post photos of us back in 2002, right? And, and so someone screenshots it, sends it to me, is like, remember this. And I'm like, I tried not to. Thanks for bringing it back, right? And there is this picture of us. This is 2002, spring break. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're in San Diego on the beach. And so think 2002. Think, go, 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 shawty. Right, that, that, that time, right? That time. <laughs> And I have easily 4X baggy shorts on, Jordan shorts, and like a white tee that was probably 3X down to my thighs here, where most people wear their shorts now. And, uh, 
And I'm looking at this going like, please don't post that. And like, when and how was that ever appropriate or cool, right? Like, I'll hear people say, oh, I could still fit in clothes from when I was in high school. Listen, I will never be able to fit in the clothes that I wore in high school, right? And because, I mean, I, I think for, no, no joke, I think I had a size 40 pair of Jabot jeans and like junior high, right? With the belt that was hanging down to here, and I thought somehow that worked. It probably didn't work then. It definitely does not work now, right? So the picture Paul is saying is, get rid of that. Like, we all have clothes that we go, we are never wearing that again, right? We should all have clothes that we say, we are never wearing that again. And, and if we don't have the ability to say that, someone who loves us dearly should say, bro, sister, you're never wearing that again. Like, keep that there. Whatever you got going on now, like, like this is who you are now. That right there, 2002, go, 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 shorty. Like, that's not who you are anymore, right? That, that's, that's what Paul was getting to here, but mainly talking about our lives in Christ. And so if you're with me in chapter 4, verse 17, and he says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So here's what Paul is saying. First, we got we Paul is not saying all of a sudden that Gentiles are bad people. You go, wait a minute. Just a couple chapters before, he's saying we are one, Gentiles are one. Like, why is he going after them? He's not saying do not be like the Gentiles according to them ethnically. He's talking to the way of life. Mind you, many of the people, the majority of the community of which Paul is writing to in Ephesus are Gentiles. Gentiles were those who were not ethnically Jews. He's not talking to the, eth the, um, the ethnicity side of things. He's talking to the way that culture goes. In essence, the way you can interpret this is saying, um, do not live or walk in the ways that you used to live when you used to live as if there was no God through Christ. Like, what life would be like if Jesus was not something, someone in whom you believed in as Lord and Savior? And so he says, don't do this. And he says, I, I appeal to you. Basically, in the name of Jesus, you should already know this. Don't. And he begins to give, like, this is what this life was like. And he goes on to say that they were darkened and futile in their minds. Now, when it says futile, don't think stupidity. Like, that somehow if someone's not in Christ, they're not smart. Because the inverse is not necessarily true either. <laughs> right? So, they're, they're, when he says futility, it means in their thinking that they're going nowhere. I'm going to be very clear here. He's not saying that they're not good people. He's not saying that they can't be morally upright. He's saying when it comes to the things in the nature of God and the kingdom of God, apart from Christ, this particular thinking does not lead to anything that's eternal. It could be very beautiful. It could be very good. It could be relationally um, uh, benefiting. It could be all of these things. It could be intellectually satisfying. But when it comes to the feudal thinking, I mean, there's, they don't have a perspective and a worldview that sees Christ as Lord. Now, when Paul continues to say this, he says not only that, he, they're, dark, they're alienated from God because of their ignorance. Okay, let me pause here because I think there's a better parallel that, that begins to draw out where Paul is talking about um, in Romans chapter 1. And so if you guys, I think we have Romans chapter 1 here. And we, we taught through Romans years ago. Never going to do it again. So here's, here's our here's chance here. So for, And this is 18 through 25, so bear with me here. For the wrath of God is, being, is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Meaning like, like the truth is there, they push it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How, Paul? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul's talking about us. He's talking about humanity. Hopefully, as we read that, we don't think about somebody we know as opposed to humanity. And he's saying, hear what the problem is. The problem was not that they were not good people. The problem is that they did not worship God. They did not give themselves to their creator. Instead, they begin to worship the things in which he created. Good things that they made main things. It's a worship issue. And so what Paul begins talking about in Romans, and he's talking about here is, so to be alienated from God is to be, like, that's judgment. And that's something that we don't want to hear that word, but that's judgment. That means every single person who is separated from Christ by their own choices and decisions, who are not following, believing, trusting, resting in the work of Christ, is alienated from God, and judgment rests upon them. And that judgment is that God actually gave them up, Paul says in Romans 1. Like the worst thing that could happen is that God could say, you do what you want to do apart from me. Like, do you. Like that is in some ways some like cultural model we have. Like, well, just do you. It's like, and God's like, wait, you don't want that. He's like, I want that. All right, well, do you. That's a problem. And Paul's saying, don't go back to that life. Don't do you. Be who you are in Christ, redeemed perfected, being perfected by the blood of Christ and learn Christ, um, be heard ultimately in Christ. Like, that's what he's saying here when he talks about the Gentiles. Now, I say it that way because when you read it, it could say Paul's going, don't be like those people. The, the, he said these people, they're greedy, they're sensual, their hearts are calloused, um, they practice all kinds of impurity. He's saying this is just a life apart from Jesus. This doesn't mean everyone is that's not in Christ is morally licentious. It's not saying that. There's a lot of good people in this room that don't trust Jesus that, that are good people, but that doesn't mean that you are in Christ. Like Jesus was not saying, I'm going to go find a bunch of good people to join my team, right? Team Jesus, good people. No. In fact, the opposite. Lost people I'm going to go find who would realize that they're lost and need to be found. People who were sinners who realize that they're sinners and need the grace to be forgiven and ultimately, who will follow me? That, that, like, that's what Paul is saying here. Like, that's, that's part of the gospel. Amen? So with that, don't be like them. Don't hear Paul saying, don't be like that. Right? Don't, don't hear that because that, that becomes negative. I, I remember um, not walking in Christ, not being a Christian. My sophomore year in college, I had a friend who was uh, these two girls. They were on the basketball team, way taller than me. And uh, the, one of the girls was like super Christian, right, if there was such a thing. But at the time, I was like, she's super Christian, Mike. You know, like Ned Flanders, if you were allowed to watch The Simpsons. Uh, if you weren't, you shouldn't have, because you shouldn't have. 
Um, and I mean, like, just like, I don't know, uh, what's the word, judgmental. And so, so uh, my other friend wasn't. She was like, grew up in Portland, never knew anything about God, like didn't go to church, was, just wasn't in it. Well, all of a sudden, the super Christian girl start wanting to hang out with us and doing the things we were, we were doing, which were not super Christian. And she started getting into some, some stuff she shouldn't have got into. And then her mom flew down from a different state where she was from, came here, confronted my friend, and told my friend that she was being used by Satan to lure her daughter into her life, and that she was bad, and she was moving her daughter out, and everything else. And I just remember, like, as a non-Christian, like, wait, something just doesn't seem right. Like, she made those decisions. I saw her. She was go, go, go shouted. Like, she jumped out into, like, you know, like, like, that was a decision she made. Now, don't get me wrong. You are, you know, the people you hang out with, all of those things. But it was, like, almost like, you are making my daughter become like you, and that's a bad thing. There was no Christ, no gospel. Here's who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is what I used to be like. Like, none of that. Like, you were bad. I have to remove myself from you. Please hear me. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, something's happened in you. Like, there's a new life. In fact, here's what he says here, um, continuing in this particular text. So if you look at verse 20, he goes, but, meaning this is what it used to be like for you, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, here's what he's saying. There's a few things he says. No, 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 this is not you anymore because you've learned Christ, you've heard about Christ, you've been taught Christ. He, this is not um, people he's talking to who don't know Jesus. He's saying, you know Jesus, like there's something that has happened, you have received this amazing grace, that you have experienced forgiveness, that the new life has been given to you because you believe in Jesus, so therefore, you have to take that 3X white tee baggy Jordan shorts life off and then put on this new life that is fashioned in form that looks like Jesus. Like, that's what he's saying. And the way that that happens is because you've learned a meaning somebody's teaching Christ. And don't think the setting we're in now only, right? Think people knowing the word of God, men and women knowing the word of God, and sharing it in community with one another. That teaching Christ, and teaching Christ not only his death and his resurrection that gives us new life, but who Christ is and what flows from Christ, that he was full of grace and he was full of truth, that there, were, there was morality and yet he brought something in the gospel of the kingdom that shattered the world, that when you begin to teach Christ, you desire to look like, follow, and resemble who he is. So, so go back to um, like why, like I think about the, the early 2000s version of me and I think about what I would put on to wear and, and thought it was good is, uh, like, why would I wear what I, what I wore? Or why do we wear what we wear? Most people think, oh, I'm just being creative. No, you're not. Something is influencing you, right? Like, everything that you have or you don't have or so forth, like, it's influencing you. So when I think about, why did I wear a Pro Club 3XYT? And some of you guys know, what is a Pro Club 3XYT? It was a real thick collar, like the real thick white collar, and an all-white tee that was a real baggy. And at the time, it was, you know, you get three for one at KMOs uh, and... Anyways, so there, there's, there's a t-shirt and the baggy jeans and so forth. But then you think about what did I listen to, right? Everything was telling me to wear it. Like all the music was telling me. Nelly was telling me I don't need one pair. I gave me two pair, like some Air Force Ones and so forth. It was, it was, and it was the people I was around, the culture I was around. Like just, it, it was what it was. It's just, you know, it's just, you get shaped by it. You, you actually begin to, believe it or not, talk like, look like the people who you spend a lot of time with. I mean, they, some, some chiropractors will even tell you, right, and I've said this before, that kids will walk like their parents. 
and you'll see it. You watch kids walk out of here, and you see there. Look at this kid's. That is a hilarious, hilarious wow. Wow. You walk just like your dad, <laughs> just as goofy as you. No, no, I'm just joking, right? There, there, there is a sense where you're around. And what, what we're saying is when, when Paul is teaching here of going, like, this old life, because you swam in those waters. And it's easier, actually, to get into vice than it is to virtue. But to give into vice is naturally in your nature. To give into virtue is something that you have to retrain your mind and discipline. And the way that happens, he says, assuming, meaning believing, I know that you've learned Christ. That means you fully have exhausted understanding who Jesus is. No, but you're learning Christ and that you're hearing about Christ and that you're being taught and you're teaching about Jesus Christ and that you're spending time with Jesus, that you begin to actually look more like him than the culture that's around you. Like, like it's spending time with him. And I'm not just talking about in his word. We'll talk more what Paul is talking about in a second. But it is going, spending time, not necessarily going with the currents of culture, but actually bucking up against it when need be because you're following your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not uh, winsome all the time. Sometimes it is. It's not always winsome. But that's what it means to actually follow Jesus. Well, then Paul begins to round this up and he says this. Um, assuming you learned Christ, you heard about him, verse 22. So put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. When he says put off your old self, he says put it off. It's got these deceitful desires. That, that word desires is lust. Um, it's the Greek word epithemia, which just means an over-desire. And um, the, the word desire is actually not a bad thing. That's a gift from God. But when it's a deceitful desire, it's saying that the lies in which we hear are never yelling at us. The temptations in which we hear are never screaming at us. They're short whispers. And they're whispers that actually promise something that's good. They're whispers that promise things that only could be found supremely in the gospel. Sometimes they're quick fixes. Whatever they may be, he's saying these deceitful things, they're deceitful. You're, you're not going to always just go, oh, there it is. Like, it's a deceitful desire that, that actually you may not be feeling the consequences for immediately, but eventually down the road as you continue to eat and bite that carrot, that you find yourself in a mess. And Paul's saying, like, put that off. And I do need to deal with something with the, the grammar here, too, as well. Not the grammar, but the meaning here is when it says put off, put on, at, at just initial reading, it looks like, like, just change your clothes. Like, it's up to you. That's not what's happening. This is actually not necessarily a command. He's not saying put off, put on. Even It sounds like that. It, he, it's almost saying it's already happened if you are in Christ. What Paul is communicating is there is a recreation, if you can say, that has happened. And the recreation is that God has done something new. The Bible uses it as regeneration. That means the Spirit of God has come into your life if you are in Jesus. And the Spirit of God has now taken those things off, removed them, and has put you now on the righteousness of Christ. So what he's saying is God 100% does this, that when you return or turn and look to Jesus, place your faith in Jesus, it is the Spirit of God that is saying this old way of life, not that the temptations go away. Lord knows they don't. That, that this way of life, not that the desires go away, no, 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 but you have a new way of thinking now in Christ, new lens, a righteousness that is rolled, um, um, a part of you, that you are part of the family of God. And he, it is God who's saying, I'm putting off this. You should never go back to that. Um, look at yourself. You should never look like that in the first place. 
And now, here's what I have that's new. And what's new is that you are being, you are, your, your image of God is being repaired by grace, that you can best reflect who God and who Christ is, and then you're being redeemed, recreated in the image and the likeness of Christ. He's saying, live there. The currents of culture will pull you over here. And so we have to, through the grace in which we receive in God, not just become right with God vertically, but now through that same grace, we have to swim upstream against the currents that we may look like image, look like, um, imitate, act like our Savior, Jesus, as a community. He says, put that off. And he says, put on these things. He says, these desires, they will be there. Put those things off. Say no to those desires. And then, again, he says this, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. And then he gives us this goal of what it looks like ethically to be followers of Christ. And he says, the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, righteousness and holiness. So when you think righteousness and, and holiness, immediately we think primarily morality. Nothing less than that, but far more. Righteousness, for whatever reason in the English uh, in the English translations, we translate always righteousness when it's really justice. And if you think about God's justice, God's justice is first and foremost that he's going to put the things that are broken right. He starts first by doing that in his people in the church. Is that which is broken, those who are broken, that he puts us right with himself by his grace, that he has now done this work for us in Jesus. And now our response is to participate in what he's doing and putting things right as far as we can with our lives. So he's saying, as we live as a community, um, as we understand not to live our old way of life, after we live the new way of life following Christ, one, it is this recreation, which is God's grace in which we receive, and then it's repentance, turning from our old life, and which we do with God's grace, turning towards Christ, that we seek to bring good, that we seek to enact justice in whatever area that we can um, in light of who God is and what God is doing. That's one part of what it looks like to be an ethical Christian. The other part is not just justice and righteousness, but it's holiness. And holiness is not something we're talking about a whole lot. And be honest with you, most of us don't really know what holiness is. At best, we say holiness means that we're other, um, um, at best, we say holiness means that, that we, we, we're morally upright. But here's, hear me on this. You could be morally upright and not know Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people and a lot of particular religions that don't rest in the grace of Jesus Christ who are more moral than most of us in this room. And you don't mind when they move into your neighborhood. You don't mind your kids going to school with them. You don't mind being on their sports team. You don't mind them at all. And that's, that's not saying you're better or worse than there. It's just going, morality is not the end goal. But when you begin to look at holiness throughout the Bible, you see that holiness is the very power of who God is. And that you have these laws, even of impurity, that we can't, by being impure people, approach God. Not because he's bad, because he's so, so, so good. And then he gives laws of how you need to be clean to be able to approach his, his, his holiness. And then as the Bible begins to uh, unfold its narrative, you see that the holiness of God is most displayed actually in the temple. That it becomes a place where God's holiness dwells. And then you see in the Bible this picture of, of holiness happening in Isaiah where Isaiah walks into the temple. He has this vision of God. He realizes his holiness. He pronounces a curse upon himself. He goes, woe to me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then what happens is these like angel looking things come down and they have this fire and they touch his lips. Now, usually 
When something impure, like Isaiah and us, touches something that's holy, it makes it impure. However, it was the purity of God's holiness that made him pure. And as you continue to look through the story, that's exactly what Jesus brings to us. That Jesus goes around touching and healing and giving things to people who are impure, and then it's through his touch that he makes them pure. It is ultimately holiness is us worshiping God for what he's done in and through our life. So will morality flow from that? Absolutely. But it is first and foremost who God is in his nature and who he makes us to be by him touching us through the preaching, the receiving, and the understanding of the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. So when we say put off the old, it's not stop doing bad, put on the new, start doing good. It's put off the old, a life separated from Christ, a life alienated from God, and everything that flows from there. Trust Remember that God has done a work in and through you, that he's not going to take back. You have new clothes on. Live in those clothes by looking to Jesus. And the way in which we begin to pursue this righteousness and this holiness, Paul gives it to us. The one imperative that's in here, he says this, is to renew your mind. Verse 23, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. That's the same thing Paul talks about in Romans 12. The renewing of the mind, this is a daily thing. If you think about the library books that you never returned, um, if, if the date was coming that, you, that you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't read the books, you can go to the library and say, can I, can I renew this book? And they would give you a new date. And you can go back and go, I can renew this book, a new date, and so forth. What Paul is saying is here is, you are created, recreated in the image of Christ if you are in Jesus. Like, God's not going to change that. However, the way that we fight these temptations of the currents of our culture and our desires of our flesh to go to this way is actually there's a renewing of our mind. Is that reading your Bible? Absolutely. How are you going to know Christ if you don't read your Bible? Is that prayer? Absolutely. How are you going to know and live in community if you're not praying to God? Is that, does that being and confessing sin in community? Absolutely. Is that receiving prayer? Absolutely. Is that serving? Absolutely. It's all of the things in which we can do that we remind ourselves or who we are in Christ, that our minds are being renewed. And that actually takes work. And it's working with the power that Paul has been talking about here. The power that has entered the world through Jesus Christ. That those of us as followers of Christ, we are not without power. There is a big power in this world. There really is. And the tempta- uh, tempting power that draws us away from the things of Christ. Every single one of us. And we, 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 we keep biting that same fruit over and over again. We, we experience it. And we experience the death of it. We understand the decay of it. But there's also a greater power. That we get a chance to receive the grace and walk into the new life of Christ. Paul is saying, live here. Be here. Swim in these waters. Allow these waters to refresh you. Allow these waters to renew you. Live into the new life in which you have. Walk away from the old. Live in the new, trusting in Christ by renewing your mind and the grace that's been extended to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have given us Jesus and that you have not taken him away. Lord, we thank you for your word that Oftentimes, Lord, we separate a gospel that leads us to you and our sins being forgiven, past, present, and future, from a gospel that actually leads us to walk in righteousness and holiness. Father, help us to keep those things together that we live as your people. And Lord, when we, all of us, Lord, find ourselves drifting drifting towards the things of the old self and the old life, or the the life apart from you, Lord, whether it's self-righteousness or licentiousness, God, whether it's looking down upon people or, Lord, even not even looking at ourselves rightly in the way that you see us. God, help us to repent from sin and turn to our Savior. 
Allow our minds to be renewed by you, renewed by your spirit, renewed through your word, renewed in your grace, renewed in your community. God, renewed in such a way, God, that we begin to emulate and look like and walk like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to never be ashamed of this gospel which has saved us, Lord. We are in a culture, Lord, that absolutely desires to us to look like and, and mimic it. But yet your kingdom has broken in, and it is invading in the lives of your people. So, Lord, flood our lives with your spirit, Lord. Transform us from the inside out, Lord. May your word always be the authority in which guides and shapes us, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.